Hello and welcome to the Emmanuel Croydon podcast. At Emmanuel Croydon, we exist to be a community drawn together by our desire to know and follow Jesus. We long to become disciples of Jesus who are equipped to serve him in the whole of life, transforming families, communities and workplaces as we love God with heart, mind, soul and strength. We hope you enjoy this week's talk from the evening service. Thank you for joining us today. Grace and peace to you. Yes, the reading tonight is uh, Philippians chapter 3, and it can be found on page 1190 in the Pew Bibles. Um, this, Paul is concluding his advice to the Christians in Philippi. Finally, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it's a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh, for it is we who are the circumcision. We who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reasons for such confidence, if others think they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. In regard to the law, a Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church. As for legalistic righteousness, faultless. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I don't consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenwards in Christ Jesus. All of us who are mature should take such a view of things and if on some point you think differently that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Join with others in following my example, brothers and sisters, and take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. Just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes 
on those who live as we do. For as I have often told you before and now say again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. This is the word of the Lord. Brilliant. I'm going to ask James to come up uh, and uh, join me. And I thought it'd be nice for us just to have a little chance to get to, to know him a little bit before he comes and um, speaks to us from, from God's Word. Thank you so much, James, for joining us today. Okay. Um, now, it's, it's obviously um, a great kindness for you to come here at all, but you've had a significant birthday in the family the last we couple have. of days. Yes. Um, so give us, give us a sense. Who have you left behind? Um, yeah, back at home. Well, well actually, it, it's my wife's birthday uh, on Friday. Um, I won't say her age because she's probably sick of hearing that now. But um, yeah, it was, it was one that ends in zero. So it was a, an important birthday and we've been having lots of family celebrations. Bad planning on my part really to end up preaching three times and sandwiched in between that or rather the, the, the filling in the sandwich was all the birthday celebrations for my wife. So it's been a long day, but uh, no, it's good to be here. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for coming. Now tell us a little bit. Um, so you, um, are, uh, you really have the kind of pastor responsibility for the church uh, at Pearly Baptist. Yes. Tell us a bit, how long have you been there? What's the, what's the church like? Where is it? All that kind of stuff, because it's nice to make that connection amongst so, ministries in the area. Sure. So, so we're um, down by Pearly Cross, uh, sort of on that little island site there. We've uh, won the popularity contest for churches by having a, the building project of the tall building and uh, I arrived just as that was all kicking off with the local MP galvanizing protests against the building. To be fair to him, never protesting against the church but against this project and caught in the crossfire between Croydon Council and all the rest. So it was quite a, quite a journey my first few years there. About two years ago it was confirmed by the government that we could go ahead and build and I must admit, it's made things a bit clearer. But then, you know, then lockdown happens. So nothing's been very straightforward yeah. over these last few years. It's a great church family. Um, one of the bigger Baptist churches around and um, been in the area. Pearly Baptist has been there for over 100 years and, uh, and has a good reputation, apart from when we're doing building projects uh, with <laughs> the local community, I think. Lots of outreach and stuff. And we've got this vision, really, to to build a big community centre uh, there, a sort of natural hub for the people of Purley, uh, increasing numbers of people moving into the town centre, occupying affordable housing, so lots of problems they might face of deprivation of one kind or another. We really want to minister into that. So that's kind of mm. the vision, uh, that we would reach out with good news, particularly to some of the poorer people who might live in the town centre. Mm. Well, thank you so much for sharing a bit of that. Do uh, catch James afterwards, hear a little bit more about that. Let me pray for you as you start and for us. Lord Jesus, thank you that you have not left us in the dark, that you speak to us, that you speak to us by your living and active word. And we pray now that as James comes to bring it to us, to explain it to us, 
we would hear you speaking to us in our hearts. And Lord, give us willing hearts, open minds, and, uh, and a real joy at hearing from you and then seeking that transformation that you long to do in each of our lives. In his name we pray this. Amen. Amen. Great, James. Thanks. Now, all of you may not know this, but there's quite a large clock uh, there. And then just in case you can't see that in the dark, there's another clock on the screen there. So preachers have no excuse if they go over time. When do you want me off? It says 1917 there. punchy. I'm hearing 20 minutes. That sounds like 20 minutes to me. I will try and be, I'll be trying sat back down there at 1937. That's 20 minutes, okay? And I've got two sermons for you this evening, but before I start my first sermon, uh, which is very short, uh, I, uh, I just want to say something. I, I don't often, to be honest, uh, preach at other churches, uh, but when I do, um, I'm just struck. I mean, I don't know many of you at all. But I heard this preacher some years ago, and um, when I'm preaching, I tend to address the congregation as brothers and sisters. I might say that, like Paul does in this passage. But he kept referring to the congregation as beloved. And it sounded a bit old-fashioned to me. But the more I thought about it, it's, it's a good discipline for ministers to remember, for preachers to remember, that the people we're talking to are of incalculable value. Jesus died for each one of you. And whether you've accepted him into your heart, whether you've made him the Lord of your life or not, you are of incalculable value. Because God says you are. So I address you this evening as beloved. For my first sermon, my text will be The Times, Monday, October the 23rd, 2017. A member of my church handed me this. It's one of the saddest things I've ever read. Churches regret lack of children, is the heading. A quarter of Church of England services, and, and although this is addressed in the Church of England, I mean, it would be true of any of the denominations. A quarter of Church of England services do not have a single child in the congregation, by which they mean under 16s. A quarter. Increasing fears of a gradual extinction. An average-sized Anglican church has only three children attending each week. While those with the smallest congregations, which comprise a quarter of the total number, have no under-16s at all in their pews. An average, if you ask what is the average number of children across all Church of England churches, it is nine at each service. Um, and if you look at the, top, the largest 25% of Church of England churches, there is an average of 11 in attendance. And if you look at the top 5% in, ter in terms of size, it's 35. Whilst there's been a decline of 13% in the number of adults attending on a Sunday over the past decade, the number of children has dropped by 22%. As older parishioners die, they are not being replaced by a new generation. I, I just want to share that everywhere I go, because churches argue about all sorts of things. There's all sorts of tensions and issues in church life. But a good deal of them represent fiddling while Rome burns. And 
we've all got a part to play in reversing this trend. It won't be achieved purely by appointing gifted youth and children's workers, although, coincidentally, I had no, no awareness this was happening, but I understand that's sort of happening right now. And they have a big role to play, right? I'm not knocking that. But each one of us has a role to play. My, uh, let's just say, a teenager who is very dear to me and lives in the same house as me is kind of working her way around Christian faith and trying to work out where, it, where she stands with it all. Um, and um, she came, I came home from church, I think it was last week, might have been the week before, and she was sitting on the stairs with an open envelope. And as soon as I came in, she said, Dad, look at this. And she passed this envelope over to me with a letter. It came from a guy in our church who's in his 80s. I think he's in his 80s, certainly in his 70s, could well be in his 80s. And he does children's work. He still does children's work now. They'll, they'll carry him out of the children's work in a box. There's no question about it. He is just on fire for children and always has been. And the children really like him. And my daughter had got a letter from him. He'd found out that she's thinking of being a nurse. And he wrote her this lovely letter saying, you appear to me to be such a caring person. He said, a few years ago, I wrote down a whole list of things about how to be a caring person myself. And he'd written all these simple statements about how to be really caring and loving. He said, you seem to have inherited, now note this, your mother's care for other people. I thought, I thought I was pretty caring pastoral sort of guy, but it was, it was Naomi that got, got the credit for that. She was deeply touched by this. Not only that, he'd put 30 quid in there, and he don't, I don't think he has a lot of money. I suspect that will stay with her until she dies. All of us have a role to play in reversing this trend. It is a thing of grief to me that that is true. And all of us should be saying, what can I do? And let's just agree to shelve all our arguing over trivial stuff until that's sorted out, shall we? Okay. My second sermon for the evening will be taken from Philippians chapter 3. And I did sit down and start to do the proper thing you're supposed to do, which is just work through it, summarize the whole passage. And I gave up because there's just too much stuff in here for 14 minutes. So instead of that, I'm just going to bring out three sort of questions and issues that I see in this passage for you to reflect on. And the first thing I want to do is to ask the question, what on earth happened to Paul? Because here you get a kind of... Paul in the, in the book of Acts, uh, we read in Acts chapter 9 about his conversion, and twice, on two other occasions in the book of Acts, Paul retells his testimony, if you like, the story of what happened to him when he's traveling on the road to Damascus and God, uh, you know, Jesus meets with him and just turns his life upside down completely. And, um, and here we get a sort of another reflection on it, really, but through slightly different words, slightly different perspective. In the heart of this passage is Paul saying, I used to be someone who felt pretty good about who I was. Paul pretty much had it all in the ancient world. If he was moving around, there are two main social, cultural locations that Paul moved about in, the Greek culture and the Jewish culture. Paul was high social status in both, highly competent in both, demanded respect for his accomplishments and his, his, his um, status in both. And yet, what we read here is that the moment he really met Christ something changed right in the heart of who he was. 
And he went from being somebody who was zealous for all of the history of the Jewish people and, uh, and all his status within the Jewish people and the way in which he understood that that made him pleasing to God. And he said, I realized that all that was garbage. I mean, this is not moderate language that Paul is using throughout this passage. He's not some moderate kind of character. When we, be, when we get trained to be pastors, we're trained to be diplomatic and to know how to negotiate sensitive areas in church life and not offend people. If Paul was your pastor, I don't think a lot of us would like it. Because he doesn't beat around the bush. He was not a moderate Jesus, equally, was much the same. He uses radical language here. He says, it used to be really significant to me. These were the ways in which it it seemed to me that I was on the right track in life, that God was pleased with me, and I could demand respect from other people. And now I realize it was just all garbage. And the only thing now that matters, he says, Christ Jesus took hold of me. And the only thing that matters to him now is chasing Jesus down. Following him as radically, as selflessly, with with deep commitment. And keeping his eyes fixed on the future, uh, the resurrection from the dead, as he puts it here, the second coming of Christ. It's all in this passage. That's what Paul's focused on now. He realizes the future is bright because it's Jesus. And he just gives himself to it totally. A couple of small points about this. One is, if you ask me to write a list of the reasons I'm a Christian, there'd be quite a few. There's quite a few interlocking things. Some of them are just about my personal experience of God. Some of them are about things from history, like you know Jesus' resurrection as a fact of history. Some of it is to do with the way in which I found the Bible to be so reliable. And when I've tried to follow its teachings, no matter how demanding it might be, things slot into place in life in a way they don't when I'm trying to reconcile it to the things I really want to do. Um, but one of the reasons would be, it's a, it, I don't know how to explain what happened to this historical figure, Paul, if he didn't have the kind of experience he claimed to have? Why would a high social status person who had his whole future ahead of him suddenly surrender all his status and submit himself to the kind of life he had with all the suffering for Christ? I can't explain that. Unless what what the Bible presents us with, it, it does make sense of it. So this is important, this stuff, you know. It's important historically. It's important in the construction of our understanding of Christianity. But there's a second question I just want to ask you. What garbage are we tempted to boast in? You see, some of the things Paul says here, they're not bad in themselves. There's nothing wrong with, um, with pretty much all of what Paul has here. There's nothing wrong with being a good person. There's nothing wrong with... You know, having education like Paul had or zeal for, um, for good things. There's nothing wrong with all of that, although zeal for persecuting the church maybe isn't so good. But when we begin to rely on those things and begin to imagine that because we're good at something or we've been born into something 
that gives us a bit of status, that this we can build our life on, that this makes us more acceptable to God than others, these things become corrosive. They are garbage. What might you be tempted to boast in? I reckon there's vulnerabilities here for all of us. Secondly, I want to reflect for a moment or two about confidence. On the contrary to boasting in garbage, I want to talk about confidence in Christ Jesus. I wonder on a scale of 1 to 10 where you would put your confidence in Christ Jesus this evening. Look at Paul. How confident do you think he was? Now, admittedly, he met Jesus in an absolutely sensational way. And some of us often wish, well, that'd be nice if I met with Jesus like that. However, it does seem to me that when Jesus does meet with somebody like that, he then does demand a lot of them. Paul was immediately told of the things he was going to suffer for Christ's sake. And he certainly was called to go through the mill for, for Jesus. Um, but Paul... Frequently, uses, frequently reflects on the word boasting. He will not boast in anything, he says, and he puts this in a number of different ways in his letters, except Jesus Christ. The Christian is defined as someone who would never boast about anything except Jesus Christ, about whom he is constantly boasting. Look in verse 3, if you've got it in front of you. Um, There's a neat description of a Christian here, actually. Paul says it's we who are the circumcision, we who, three things about a Christian, serve God by his spirit, boast in Jesus Christ, and put no confidence in the flesh. There's a lot there. There's a sermon right there. I'm not going to, I've got seven minutes left, so I'm not going to indulge myself by saying anything there, except to say this. Paul is saying that Christ has already won everything for you that is worth having in life. And the reason sometimes we are miserable Christians is we would like to have Jesus and a whole load of other stuff that we think would also be really great. And and maybe there's nothing wrong with it. But actually, when I start to say, are you more confident in Jesus or this other thing that you might want? If you're truthfully honest, stuff stuff creeps into our hearts and we think, well, can't I have both? but Jesus will not share your affections. He will make your life meaningful. If you follow, he'll use all the gifts you've got. He'll give you deep satisfaction, but only if in the center of who you are, you are single-minded about living for him. As soon as other stuff's creeping in, well, I'd like to follow Jesus and be a great worship leader. Sorry, I'm not having a pop. You understand why? I would like to follow Jesus and be the best preacher. I would like to follow Jesus and drive a bit of a better car, have a huge house, have everybody respect me. There's nothing wrong with some of those things, of course not. But once they start to creep in and divert the affection we should have for the Lord Jesus, they will corrode our lives, they become idols. Paul says, when I met Christ, all in the end was left was with all I am as a personality to pursue him with a single mind. And he had no fear that that wouldn't pay off. How do you live this out in your personal life, at home, at work, at play? You have responsibilities. God expects you to fulfill them. But you're not doing them anymore to earn the respect of others. You're doing them to please the Lord Jesus. 
because you long to hear and have his approval. And you can have confidence, you know, that that you will not lose out if you live that way. On the contrary, if you seek final satisfaction in life anywhere else, one day you'll wake up and realize how disappointed you are. Finally, then, uh, I just want to reflect on some outcomes from all of this. First thing I want to say to you is this. If, or I just want to ask you a question. Paul recognizes in this passage that he's not perfect. He, he's not claiming that he's, you know, he's never having any struggles in his Christian life. He says, I don't think I have um, achieved all this. don't think I've arrived. But there has been a radical change at the root of who he is at the root of who he is. And when he returns to his roots, he knows he's all for Jesus. And I want to ask, firstly, I want to ask that question. Are you really all for Jesus? Because this passage makes no sense whatsoever if you're not. He just looks like a religious fanatic. But if you've met Jesus, this all makes perfect sense. So have you met Jesus? Has he displaced that garbage for your affections deep inside of who you are. If so, then there's one outcome here, which is right in the first verse, rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. You can be truly joyful because Christ has already won for you everything that's worth having. If Christ is on the throne of your life, if he is the one who commands your affections, then you can renounce all self-righteousness, status signals, idolatry. You can put all that away. You can put the past behind you. Paul says here, I haven't achieved everything. I haven't attained all this. haven't arrived at my goal, but I do forget what is in the past. And I strain on towards what's ahead because it's all good in Christ. You put the past behind you in the present relentless radical pursuit of Christ, following the examples of others who are blazing a trail. Paul says essentially in this passage, follow me as I follow Christ. Hold your leaders to that. We don't want any mock humility from our Christian leaders that says, oh no, don't follow me, I'm just a terrible sinner. That's not good enough. We are called to be an example. Now we're not perfect, please don't expect perfection. But we need to be able to say to you, uh, follow us. We're going to set an example. If you see where we're going wrong, rebuke us. We want to be blazing a trail and we want to call you to follow us as we do. So follow the examples of others who are blazing a trail for Christ in the present and remain future focused, eagerly awaiting a savior. Every time I take communion, I remind myself it is one less time I'm taking communion until I meet Jesus. And it might be the last time. He is coming soon. We don't know when. One day he'll come. And when he does, nothing that we have done for him, no expression of worship, no expression of service to others, no, no fulfillment of our responsibility as a family member, as a, an employee, no act of courage where we spoke truth to power, to defend the rights of the poor, none of that will be lost. We'll be glad, very glad we did it all in the name of Jesus. And a whole load of other stuff we'll wish we hadn't bothered with. 
in the church these days, there's a lot of discussion about what we could, you know, what's allowable. I, um, I saw an interview, a discussion between J. John and Mike Pilavachi uh, online. You should look it up. I'm sure if you type it into Google, you'll find it. Um, I think it was under the heading Facing the Canon, which is Canon J. John. And Mike Pilavachi said, you know, when I was growing up as a Christian, we just took the view, if God asked you to do something, you just did it, because he's God. We didn't have a massive argument about what's allowable. And I, I must admit, much of the discourse in church life concerns me these days, because it sounds like we're saying, I kind of want to follow Jesus, but what's the kind of bare minimum of sacrifice I've got to give? Look at this passage. It's full of Paul saying, you want to know the joy of Christianity Give it everything you've got. Nothing's off the table, God. I'll give you whatever you want. Because I know in the end it will be worth it. Give us a thousand Christians in the local area like that. We'll change, we'll change Croydon. Give us a million in this country. We'll change the country. Will you be one of them? Will you follow Paul's example as he's following Christ? Thanks for listening to the Emmanuel Croydon podcast. For more information about our church and everything we have going on, visit our website, emmanuelcroydon.org.uk. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram to see and hear what's going on in the life of our church. God bless you and have a wonderful week.